so Alicia just gave birth, <sighs> just gives birth to a baby. You want to talk about some mothers like just a mother's strength? You talk about dad's strength all the time. What about mother's strength? She just gave birth to, and I've seen my wife give birth to three babies, and she was down and out hard on all three of them. And, and for her to get up, walk over, and then board a, an ambulance and a flight. And hadn't slept. Had slept. Because she gave birth at 4, you know, baby was born at 4 a.m. We went in at, at 11.30. What, if Alicia were here this day, what do you think she'd say? Like, what kept her going? Like, just the, is she, it just the adrenaline of like, hey, I, I've been I, trying to I truly it. believe, and I mean this 100%, that she would say the Lord in y'all's prayers. This is a great opportunity for somebody who really, really, really walked through this with us and would love to know exactly maybe more of the the details of the of that experience hello charlie chris we're back we are man it feels like now this has been two or three months no a couple months yeah it's been a while it's been a while (laughs) so anything big going on in your life lately or you just kind of hanging out or man (laughs) are you ready i could answer that question for the next two hours Actually, I want to do something. I want to, for all our listeners, I want to do something special. We're going to take it away from the gym scenario and different CrossFit topics. We're going to take it. We're going to take it somewhere that's much, much more important. I think for everybody. By now, most of the people who are listening to this should know what you've been through with Baby Ames, um, or at least they have an idea by looking on social media and you know, kind of, kind of keeping up with hearsay in the gym and 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 getting the few the few times that people have been able to talk to you. But as you know. Social media can only give you so much of the picture, right? There's no voice inflection. There's no voice tone. There's no, you know, there's no tears in social media. Um, and so what I thought we'd do today is we kind of walk through the last essentially month, month and a half of your life um, and and really talk to the listeners and really talk to the people about what you just kind of been through with Ames and, and kind of where it stands now. Now, I'm going to give the... Uh, um, uh, I, I'm going to give the punchline before I'm going to give the ending before we start. For those of you who don't know what's going on at all, baby Ames is, is healthy. There are some, there are some, we'll call it maybe issues that he, that, that you guys are dealing with, which you'll talk over, but, but for everybody, baby, baby Ames is healthy and, 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 and moving forward and progressing. So I want to get that out there first, but first I think let's start here, Charlie. Now, I don't even know if you remember this. I saw you on if Ames was born on the 24th, which was a Sunday, I saw you on the 23rd on Saturday, yeah. and I saw you, we were working out together, and I remember you had told me, you said, yep, she's getting induced on Monday, Alicia, your wife, is getting induced on Monday, you know, she worked out really hard on Friday because she is ready to have this baby. She did the open. She did the, the open. The first That's week. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And she said, and you said, hey, man, I'll see you. I think we kind of gave each other a high five and a hug. I said, good luck, bro. Um, I hope everything goes well on Monday. And everything seemed to be leaving the gym Saturday on the 23rd, 10, 11 o'clock in the, after, in the morning, whenever that was. Everything seemed to be tracking normally. No complications, anything like that. Well, you know, and I'll add to it, you know, the uh, while I was here, uh, I had the two boys, Chip and Anderson, mm-hmm. and Alicia and Kate were at Harvey Washbangers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let me tell you why. So yeah. our washing machine broke that week. <laughs> and we, Tuesday or so, Wednesday, I think it broke. And when you have a house with three kids, you know, at that time, mm-hmm. and you don't have a washing machine for like three days. I mean, the, the, that's the, a big time. It is, <laughs> you know. Big issue. And big so, issue. um, I had was holding out on like a repair guy to come out. Turns out 
he showed up on Friday and it was going to be more expensive to fix. So anyway, we ended up buying a new washer and dryer on Friday night, but mm-hmm. weren't going to get it installed until yeah. the following week. Yeah. So Saturday morning, you know, not only do we know we're going in to have a baby on Monday, uh-huh. but it's like, we got a lot of laundry. So yeah. Alicia and Kate, or Alicia was like, I'll go to Harvey Washbangers. You take the boys over to the gym. And then, so she is doing like nine or 10 loads of laundry, which to, it was, it was kind of funny because we, we laughed about that's what sent her into labor on Saturday night. So Saturday night, so Saturday was a normal day, laundry, kids, nothing out of the norm. We actually watched Creed two Saturday night in bed at like eight o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, the movie's over and 10, 15, you know, like we had literally were going to bed. Like it was like, we're going to bed. Mm-hmm. Water breaks. Mm. And, you know, that was the first time because um, her water broke at the hospital with a chip. And then we got induced with Kate and Anderson. And so this was, you know, again, the first time at home. But, you know, we've had three kids. Mm-hmm. We don't, there's no reason to panic. Sure. There's no reason to think anything's going to go any different. And so we called Renee Benson um, at, you know, 1030 at night. And she's so sweet and so great. She came over right away. And we, you know, Alicia had already had her bags packed for like, honestly, for like two months. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I threw like one T-shirt and a pair of underwear in my gym bag. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, thinking I'll probably, you know, tonight obviously stay. And then tomorrow we'll have the baby Mm -hmm. Sunday. And then I'll probably get to go home, take a shower, mm-hmm. get, you know, the kids will come and then I'll probably come back, stay at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, just look, thinking through, yeah. we've, we've done this three times before. Yeah, sure. This is not a new experience, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and of course, Alicia knowing she was going to be at the hospital for at least two nights, three days, yeah. had her bag packed and everything she would need. And, and so uh, we're driving up to the hospital and everything's going normal. Like she is, um, you know, in labor she gets epidural, you know, and the at, at some point, probably two o'clock in the morning, you know, I even drank a spark on the way to the hospital because I, I was just, you know, it was, it was actually pretty funny how, you know, I was, we were excited, like, you know, we're amped up, we're going to have a baby, you know, we've been, but it's midnight, right? And yeah. so you kind of know that's going to crash at some point because yeah. it's midnight. We hadn't, you know, we we didn't get to sleep that night, but Sunday early, four forty-two in the morning, he's born. And her mom had actually left Corpus Christi at midnight to come to our house because she was going to kind of help yep. with our kids. And uh, Renee had to be had to leave by eight o'clock in the morning. So, but four forty two in the morning, he's born. And at that moment, like everything still seemed Same completely more. normal. Yep. He, I've seen you know three kids as soon as they're born. And he looked normal. Like he looked, you know, they're a little yeah. purple, a little blue yeah. when they're born. You know, it's kind of shocking when you have yeah, your first. Yeah, when you first like, oh, wait, what's going on with this? Yeah. <laughs> but when you realize like that's normal, yeah. he uh, he looked he looked healthy. Mm-hmm. So at what point, at what point after the baby was born, did you know something was, did something not right? Something okay. had wasn't as usual. The three you've had, did you realize like, hey, this isn't normal? Here. It was probably within ten minutes. Okay. And what was actually pretty pretty eerie, looking back, there's a video we watched because I videoed it. You know, I videoed mm-hmm. the birth, or I videoed him right after he was born. And Alicia gets to hold him like right after he's born, mm-hmm. and because you know they take him to the little 
I don't know, that little warmer place. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, they yeah, yeah. usually, like, he's, you know, kind of crying or trying to. Yeah, yeah. And then they take him to Alicia, and she's holding him. And Alicia even says, like, is he okay? Like, she's kind of act like like asking, is he okay? Yeah. Is he is he breathing okay? Yeah. It was almost like she knew something. And, you know, I'm even in the video saying, oh, he's fine, baby. Yeah, he's yeah. just calm, you know? Like, yeah, he's yeah. okay. He's, he's yeah. you know, and the nurse was even saying he's okay. And. And he wasn't like why, he. Why did she ask? Was he okay? Did, I don't know. Like she know. just felt like he wasn't okay. okay. You know, there I was don't, no indication. No, like, call it you know motherly intuition. In, intuition, instinct, whatever you want to look at it as. It was just like she kind of felt like something wasn't right. Well, when they took him back to the to the little table, they they wanted to check something, and and just because they almost felt like he wasn't crying out, and and it was like this, not this like loud like. I don't know how to describe it, but I guess they're looking for some response and maybe he wasn't giving. Because I still don't know fully how to understand what happened in that moment. Yeah. But one of the things that they they tested was they hook it up to like his finger or his foot or something, but it was to check how his blood flow is being oxygenated throughout his body. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for in that moment is 100 Yep. You know, 100%. Oxygen, oxygenated blood, right? Yes. Yeah. And that number was 80. Mm. And when that number popped up as 80, that's when I could tell that the nurse was a little concerned. Like she actually noticeably was like, this isn't, we need to go, we need to take him back to, well, I still don't think it's a big deal mm-hmm. because in my mind, I'm like, he looks fine, you know, and that number's 80. And I even asked her, what's it supposed to be? And she said, 100. Alicia just had the baby, you know, I mean, he's 10 minutes old and we go to the NICU and I told Alicia, like, we'll be back. Like he'll be okay. You know, I'm just going to go there. I honestly didn't think we'd be there very long. I thought we'd be back and Alicia would. You almost think it's probably an abundance of caution thing. Cause I remember when Peyton was born, he went in the NICU and you know, at first it was crazy because it's like, it's in the NICU, but then you start realizing like, okay, this happens a lot more. It's probably abundance of caution, you know, all that. And so you're probably, is that what your mindset is? Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of, you know, even just <laughs> the way I am, I'm like, I always think everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I really don't let my mind kind of gravitate towards like the bad, stuff. the bad stuff. And so on top of that, I'm already thinking like, man, he's, this, we'll be back. You know, I even told Alicia, I was like, we'll be back. So I go to the, I'm walking with the nurse, you know, we're taking the NICU. And we're in there, and honestly, dude, the next three hours, I I can't even tell you how those hours went because it was about seven thirty in the morning. I mean, it was like two and a half hours flew by yeah. that we realized things were not okay, and it was like it, it was just like one thing at a time, right? Mm-hmm. So like we initially go over there, and now they're hooking the little thing around his nose to the to breathe breathing right tube. yeah the breathing, breathing tube, tube. Yep. they're putting they're taping it on him and then they're looking for an IV <clears throat> which is very challenging with a oh, 3 sure. hour old so infant. they're trying to find a vein right now yes. to intravenously feed him yeah get him to, to get him something and again yeah. i'm not a doctor i don't know yeah. what's coming up but there i think what happens and again i don't know but I'm guessing that that's a necessary precaution because if you need to give him something, you want to get that IV in and not do that when you know you need to give him something. Right. So it's almost like 
Right. Maybe they needed to give him something right away. But again, I'm just watching. This is unfolding before my eyes. I don't know, but I know they're poking him. And by this point, like my heart's breaking for my son. Mm -hmm. I'm holding his fingers. Like I'm telling him it's going to be okay. Like I, I, I just, I told Alicia this. I've never loved one of my kids so much so early in their life. Mm -hmm. Like in the, I love all my kids. Right. But when I don't think I've ever sat there at two hours and like, adored my kids you know it's usually alicia who's yeah. hasn't put the baby down and yeah. and i'm sitting there kind of talking to everybody Wait, and months later yeah. we're in personality dad <laughs> yeah, starts yes and so dude but because of kind of every moment unfolding and mom's not there mm-hmm. and i'm just like I, I know from even as early as when we were pregnant with kate like they know your voice mm-hmm. like they know yeah. your voice in the womb and so i'm talking to him just trying to give him a little bit of comfort because yeah he's getting poked and there's all this stuff going on they're doing x-rays they're sonogramming him they, they really were trying to figure out what was wrong and again i'm i'm the dad i'm right next to him they're kind of discussing and hearing and i'm asking a question here a question there <clears throat> and and it got to the point where i they didn't know like it was like they excuse me they scanned his lungs and they're fine mm-hmm. they do a sonogram of his heart and it's fine they uh, they were even like looking at a lot of stuff from previous doctor's appointments. Everything's like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, why is he not breathing? Like, why is he not? Because ultimately that number that was like 80 had continued to go mm. down. Uh, I think the, the low point was like 48 or something. Mm. And at 7 a.m., <clears throat> so he was barely two hours, uh, 15 or 18 minutes old, the doctor had kind of mentioned something to another nurse about Texas Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, whoa, whoa, do you, you, you mean he's going to have to go to Texas Children's Hospital? And he said, yeah, we just contacted them right now. So at that point, Ugh. then I think you, okay, a couple, a couple things I want to talk about that last iteration of stuff. First of all, does Alicia know the severity of the situation? This Nothing. She just got done birth in a bay, which... When Kristen has done that, she's out for a good two or three hours, yeah. you know, because they're so. So Alicia is in another room, so she doesn't know any of this going on. So you're having to hear all this information. Is that when the Texas Children's Hospital? Is that when it got real? I would say I still didn't want to believe it. Yeah, and and this probably goes to point out, like even the the downside to having that like optimistic personality mm-hmm. is like you almost hear this thing and you don't want to believe it. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I did not go tell Alicia until 7.30. Wow. So half an hour, it, it's continuing to unfold. Yeah. And finally at 7.30, I told doc, the, the doctor in the room, I said, I'm going to go tell my wife what's going on and that he's going to have to go to Texas Children's. And he said, I think that's a good idea. Talk to me a little bit about that conversation and how that went. Oh, man. So first of all, I walk back in mm-hmm. to the room my dad and his wife, Natalie, are in there, and I don't even know how I looked, but uh, immediately, you know, I, I, I remember, like, hugging my dad and her, and but going straight to Alicia and saying, you know, babe, you know, he's going to have to go to Texas Children's Hospital. Mm. Because there's really no other way to say it you other than just, like, off, yes. Right? You, you got to rip And I also off. knew I needed to get back to that room. Yeah. And immediately, my dad and his wife kind of stepped out and just kind of recognized, like, okay, this isn't. 
And Alicia immediately was concerned. And is he okay? And I was like, I really don't know a mm. lot. And she, you know, starts she yeah, crying. And just the emotion. You, the, yes. The, the eternal optimist. Yes. Of that answer of I really don't know a lot. Like that, that had to shake her up a little bit. And I told her, I said, only one of us can go with him. Because then I, I alluded in that moment that they were going to send the plane to come. So immediately now you're thinking, <clears throat> not only did you just get that heavy hit of Texas Children's Hospital, but now you're actually hearing that your, your newborn's going to get life flighted to Texas Children's Hospital. And so she goes, they're sending a plane? And I said, yeah, and there's only one, they only have room for one of us, but I'm gonna go with them, because I figured, I, I told her, I go, I don't think that they'd let you go yet. And when they discharge you, then you can come up, like your mom or my dad can drive you up to the hospital later this afternoon. You know, again, not thinking, every other time we've had a baby, like she's out, like she's not out per se, but she's like, bed resting you know mm-hmm. usually holding the new baby all you know every yeah. other time holding the new baby the whole day and but she's not and when she gets up to go to the restroom in previous times it's like an effort you know like having a baby is a very yeah. physically taxing exercise right like it and again i'll never know personally so i know there's a lot of women right there saying right now listening saying yeah, charlie no. you don't even know the half of it yeah. they're, they're absolutely right but i didn't think that they were going to she was going to get to go, so or else I would have said, yeah, she'll go. But I told them, I'll go. Mm-hmm. So I told her, I'm going to go back, <clears throat> and I'm going, to, I'm going to go with them, and I'll see you later, and I love you. you know. And so we, I mean, it was a quick conversation. Like mm-hmm. it, I mean, it was not a lot, it was not much more information than that. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, they had intubated him. Mm. So they put the tube in his mouth, mm-hmm. and... Man, it was just like, I think that is when it hit me. Mm -hmm. Like, not the 7 a.m., leaving at 7.30 to Alicia, but when I get back, it was just the way he looked. You know, having the tube in his throat, all the, like, all the stuff connected completely. And, man, I remember in that moment just kind of really, like, I, I would say that was the beginning of the darkest hour of my life. You know, it was probably 7.45 in the morning. And that next hour is very foggy. Like there's not like, I, 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 you know, looking back now, I would honestly love to see like a surveillance camera of it because that hour, man, was uh, heavy. And look, and I know there were so many different pieces to that, but I do remember... Um, in that moment, like I had kind of, I started to get emotional, you know, I started to like, I, I know tears started coming. I dropped to my knees. I remember holding his hand and it was somewhere in the next 10 or 15 minutes. It was somewhere around eight o'clock that all of a sudden Alicia walks in and now she sees him. I didn't even think for a second, but obviously she just got out of the room, you know, and come to find out like the nurses, the labor and delivery nurses knew what was going on and they wanted Alicia to get to go see her baby. And it was really like, there was a lot of communication from nurses, I think communicating like, Hey, this is not looking very good. You might want to tell her maybe to come over and, and come. So, so she comes in and now she is, I mean, dude, if that was the darkest hour of my life, I can't imagine, you know, emotionally, 
what her walking into that room had to feel like for her, but it was very heavy. She, and I just remember her putting her hands, like I was holding his little hand and she just had her little hand over my hand or on him too. And she just kept saying like over and over Jesus, like Jesus, 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 just like in her, and I know that voice, I know her voice so well. And I know when it's just like, again, just calling upon the Lord, like really calling upon the Lord, like, and then she started saying scriptures and I couldn't tell you exactly which ones, but I, she just recited scripture after scripture after scripture. And it was like a blend of Jesus and scriptures over and over and over and over. At some point in that time, it probably was like 815, uh, Dr. Getty, who was in the room, he comes over to us and he's kind of the main person who I have, you know, at that point I'd identified he was the leader. Like he was the guy. He was the guy. He was the one in charge. And he had looked very, very frantic. I don't want to say this. He just, he just looked frantic a little bit, like trying so many different things, right? Like. And he comes over about 8.15 and he says, you guys need to prepare for the worst. Mm. Things Mm. are not looking good. Mm. He's probably not going to make it. Mm. Oh, and I can never forget the sequence of those three statements because I, each one of those statements was like putting a 1,000 pound brick on top of another, right? Adding another one. It was just like the little bit of hope that I maybe had left just completely gone after that. Mm. Like I literally in that moment, like the one person that I thought in that room could potentially do something or know something that I, that nobody else knew just tells me that. And man, that right there, it, it was, um, is that where you broke down? Is that? Oh yeah. And I think there was a, a little bit of already breakdown, but there was more brokenness after that and that was the moment that literally i said god save ames and i will give you everything like everything like i really i didn't know i really it was you know looking back at that at those words in the prayers right it was like i really didn't know (laughs) what more to say like i believe god can do all Right. But now I'm being faced with this real life like obstacle that there is no control. You have zero ability to fix this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I, I just asked God to, to save his life, you know, yeah. to just save him. And, and, you know, in my mind, in exchange, you know, as much, and I, I, it only exposes my, immaturity and probably my um you know i look at that now i'm like geez charlie you know it took you almost losing your child to to really give the lord everything you know we should just be giving him everything because he's lord and he's given us so much but it was that moment that man i really felt like man god could save him i'll give you everything save his life and so of course it it, it didn't immediately get better right so it's you know, what felt like another long five or 10 minutes go by, the nurse asks us if we would like the hospital chaplain to come pray over Ames or for us. 
I'm so broken, dude. I don't even know how to talk at that moment. Alicia tells her to ask her if she'd call her pastor. So I get my, my phone's in my back pocket. I'm on my knees. I pull my phone out. I saw it was like 825, which we have service at 830. So I pulled up his number and I handed it to the nurse. She walks around the back. And this is Pastor Will. This is Pastor Will, Will. yes. So back corner of the, she goes in the back corner of the NICU. I mean, again, it's just, this is like very dark, like minutes of our lives, right? She comes back. He's on the phone. I don't know what it was, but hearing his voice just broke me down more, you know, and you have this relationship with him, but it's just like, he means so much to me and his friendship means so much to me. And we've been praying for, for a lot of things for a lot of years, but specifically for Ames for several weeks and months leading up to this day. And I didn't even, I don't even know how to communicate to him that things aren't okay, but obviously he knows something's wrong because the nurse was the one that got him on the phone. Alicia or me or somebody said what was going on and he just starts praying for Ames he starts praying for us you know that probably felt like maybe another three to five minutes and I remember even in in my subconscious right as I'm hearing him pray as I'm weeping uncontrollably I remember at some point in there him even kind of going towards the you know part in his prayer what's like you know God, we trust your will, right? Whatever that is. And dude, I remember feeling my heart like, uh, I don't want that. Like, I don't want the not good ending to this story. You know, and again, that's just me being honest and telling you my heart, like in that moment of hearing those words and, um, and but his, you know, in that prayer and, and just really kind of like my friendship with him, it was just like, I remember just barely even, able to hang up like and saying bye and, and just thanking him for calling or for answering the phone and and we hung up the phone and again time is so crazy because but it felt like probably just five to ten more minutes right like just a little more time goes by and honestly i felt like the color of his body had looked a little bit different so his color looked really bad like think about like that white pasty wire no like, like blue, blue. Uh, like yeah. yes like deprived blue. of oxygen right yes oxygen exactly yep. and his color started really in the lower half it was looking it, it was the the worst it got um because come to find out and, and when i give the the diagnosis but blood flow wasn't getting oxygenated specifically to the lower body so he um his color started coming back a little bit but even all of his color and the number that had gotten down so low, which is that blood flow oxygenated throughout his body, was getting a little bit higher, like not a ton. And I remember telling, asking Doctor Getty, I said, "Is is is he doing a little? Is he doing better?" And it was like again, just hanging on to every word that he said. He goes, "His body seems to have responded very well to the prostaglandin." Well, it took me like a week just to know how to repeat that word. (laughs) But what had just happened was he had probably in the previous minutes or time, I don't know when exactly, administered something, a drug or medicine called a prostaglandin. And so he was just, again, stating the facts. Mm -hmm. First of all, it didn't sound like bad news. 
it was some of the best news you had. Given what what I just had heard him say prior to that, mm-hmm. and then I even you know maybe another five or ten minutes go by, and I asked him again. I go, is he going to be okay? And you know, again, like, hanging on to every word. He goes, I'm cautiously optimistic. Man, honestly, like in that moment, I personally, I personally felt God saved his life. Mm-hmm. I felt like, like it was a plane that was literally headed straight down to crash, which was, in my opinion, what Ames's life was doing. And I believe this miracle just happened. And, and this was, you know, this probably was now 8.45 in the morning. And so it by no means was he in the clear, you know, like there was still a lot. But but you had some hope. Oh, some that, hope. yeah, that was it. I had some hope. And, you know, the next, you know, what, what, I, what ultimately happened in that minute or time was the Aprostaglandin did save his life. It was, it bought time before Texas Children's could arrive, because they got there about 10, 15 in the morning via airplane. They, they flew into Easterwood. Wow. An ambulance picked them up, drove them to St. Joe's. They come in, and I will tell you right this, like, you have, you know, you're part of organization. You know, we actually, you're part of this organization too, but you talk about communication and teamwork. Like, what they did was very amazing to watch. Like, so impressed. They took, you know, this, three, I guess at this point, almost five hour old baby who had been completely living on all the support he was getting from every single one of these wires, right? That they had hooked up to him in this NICU. One at a time over the, about an hour's time, they are completely, while keeping him getting all the medicine and all the things he needs, one thing at a time through communication getting him to their portable unit that would then allow them to take him in the airplane. And the last piece of that was the the tube that was in his, you know, that he was connected to oxygen, not the tube taken out of his mouth, but ultimately the, the air coming in. And that was the very last thing they did. And I videoed that. It was basically when they disconnected this and the teamwork of them holding him. And, you know, it's, again, my son, and he's got tubes on wires, and they've completely assembled him to this portable unit. And they communicate, and they say, okay, on three, one, two, three. They pull it out. The thing's going, and they literally transfer him over to the portable unit. They hook it back up really quick. So he's back getting air. And now he's like, and so they, it's like, all right over and out, you know, and they all move out. It's like seven of them, six of them, and Alicia, and I kiss her, and she's going, they go in the ambulance to Easterwood, they get on this airplane, and they're literally in the air, and as soon as they left, I'm in my truck, and I'm headed straight for Texas Children's. So Alicia just gave birth, (sighs) just gives birth to a baby. You want to talk about some mother's, like, just mother's strength. They talk about dad's strength all the time. What about mother's strength? She just gave birth to, and I've seen my wife give birth to three babies, and she was down and out hard on all three of them. And and for her to get up, walk over, and then board a, an ambulance and a flight. And hadn't slept. Hadn't slept. Because she gave birth at 4, you know, baby was born at 4 a.m. We went in at, at 11.30. What, if Alicia were here this day, what do you think she'd say? Like, what kept her going? Like, just the, is she, it just the adrenaline of like, hey, I, I've got to try to I it. truly believe, and I mean this 100%, that she would say, the Lord 
in y'all's prayers. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was the Lord and, and ultimately the, the, the prayers and, 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 you know, when I say the Lord, it sometimes can sound so, 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 uh, churchy, right? So mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what this, no, but like from our perspective, right? The way that we live our life, like we believe that God is the most powerful if not the pow- powerful uh, being in the planet, in the universe. Mm-hmm. He created this. He created us. He is in charge of everything. We completely surrender to that thought. We believe that. And we believe that when, when anything happens, like that shouldn't happen, you know, like that, like going back to me saying, I believe God saved his life. And ultimately... Yes, there is a uh, a moment that you can say he turned the corner, which was the Aprostic Landon. That was the Aprostic Landon from this doctor's mouth two and a half weeks later was his last effort to, to save Ames. And if that didn't work, he had nothing. No to me, that is not doing something on purpose. That is not something that you can truly, yes, I am grateful for that doctor and I'm grateful for every doctor and I know that every person played a part. I don't want to make it sound so spiritual to say that like, oh, God did it all. And no, but I believe God used that doctor along with so many other things. But that act of him giving that medicine at the minute he did, at the moment in time that he did, ultimately saving his life, I believe is an act of God's divine intervention to save his life. Because you can't take credit for that when it's your last ditch effort. Mm-hmm. You really can't. Like, there's there's some other powerful force happening. Like, it's not protocol. It's not you know, if you, if that was the first thing you did, well you know, and at some point I think you know where I truly believe the Lord, He's a part of that too. Mm-hmm. You know, but at this point it's like, man, this should not have happened this mm-hmm. way. That's the Lord. Mm-hmm. When you explain Alicia, not only the fact that she had the adrenaline and you can call it the ability physically mm-hmm. that's a miracle in itself you know she had an epidural yeah at about she even two, walking 2 a.m every walking. okay and i'll give you a little insight every other time that she's had an epidural she can't feel her legs yeah she really cannot feel her legs like yeah. she and she doesn't want to like she doesn't want to feel a thing yeah. <laughs> when she has the baby and every other time she hasn't been able to feel her legs after birth like they're still you know the epidural has to wear off mm-hmm. That at, you know, the middle of the night when we got the epidural, she even was telling the doctor, like almost like upset, like I can feel my legs. Like, why can't I feel my legs? And he was like, you just had a contraction. Did you feel that? And she's like, no, but why can't I feel my legs? (laughs) And we believe that it was totally God's hand in that. Like knowing that she was going to need to use her legs, you know, because for her to deliver a baby at 442 in the morning, and it was not a C-section, obviously, you know, this was you know, a, a natural birth, right? Just like the other ones for her to get up at whatever time, 745, somewhere around there, eight o'clock in the morning, walk over to the NICU, not really sit down probably. I mean, on the ambulance, but then you're up and then you're at the hospital. And I would argue like not really rest again until 11 o'clock. And you really don't rest when you're in but that night in the hospital room in the, in the CVICU. And so, yeah, I would truly believe it was the Lord giving her the strength, you know, and that's what he does. I mean, he's been doing it all along in, in every story you've read in the Bible. It's like he he gives us when, when we don't have, right? And so 
she was able to be with Ames, right? That was where she wanted to be, where she needed to be with Ames. He, Ames needed his mother, you know, because there's a difference between mom and dad. You know that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I believe that a, 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 one of the things that this, these monitors that were me- measuring all these different data points could not measure was the love that Alicia was pouring out over Ames during this time. You know, whether it was in the hospital room, whether it was in the airplane, whether there's just something about that, man, that you can't measure. But, you know, it's, you it's know the it's energy, worse. man. It's like when a, it's like when somebody walks in a room and they just the, the spirits in the room, the, the energy is just increased and you can't measure that. You just everybody feels better. There's just something about that magnetic power. And I believe that that was Alicia's presence with Ames during this whole time. So. A couple things here, and then we'll kind of move it on. Really, just one major thing, and I don't even think you know this. So, this all makes sense how I'm tying this in. So, we got notified probably along with everybody else on Sunday morning. I think Kristen is in a text thing with Alicia, and she says there's complications and everything. Right around that same time, Billy Rice, who's on duty at the hospital, and I don't. That's why I was checking my phone earlier when we were doing this. I I don't have the picture anymore. I need to get it. He snaps a picture of you. Probably in that 720s. It's only you in that 730 time frame. And he just says, hey, pray for baby Ames. He is not doing well. And this picture of you, Charlie, you said you, you said earlier here, here when, when you talked earlier about how you wish you had a surveillance camera or something. I don't think I have ever seen that look on your face before. You're in there. There's, there's doctors all around. He's kind of, he snaps it through like a, a, there's a window in the door. And you're in there. And that, I mean, if, if a picture could talk, it, it is, it is very, it's, it's, it, it has to be about the time you just heard, you have to prepare for the worst mm. because you are, that look is, you're almost white and it's just, it's a look I've never seen, I've, I've never seen before in you. I mean, it is a look of just like shock, worry, defeat. Like it had to be right about that same time, and so I, I want to get that. And um, yeah, man, I'm gonna send. I, I'm gonna send that. I would to love you. to see that. I had it. And, I don't know what I and, did. With and it, you're but. spot on with those words because that was about every feeling that was going on. Wow. Okay. So Alicia's Alicia's in the plane with Ames. You're racing. You're racing. Yeah. Obviously, in the truck going down to Texas Children's. Um, when do you guys connect again and she, what's going on? Yeah, in she gets frame? there about half an hour before me, you know, because, yep. the, you know, the plane, they take a little bit longer and, and I'm yep. going, I mean, it's about two hours, but to get there, but they, they land at Hobby Airport and then ambulance over. And so she had got there, I think around two, okay. maybe one thirty, maybe I got there about two or two thirty. Um, my dad and my brother were, they met me right by there. Um, they had kind of like parked on the side of the road and then my dad jumped in my truck so, so he could drive me up and drop me off. I get up there and, you know, I got there a little bit after her, but she said that as soon as they got there, like 40 doctors took over, like basically from, from taking him on this portable, you know, unit and hooking him up into their, they, they put us on the 18th floor in the Legacy Tower, which is the CV ICU, which is cardiovascular ICU. The reason we went to that particular unit was because he had gone into heart failure. So that was initially the thought when we left St. Joe's was he was in heart failure and, and might need heart surgery. Wow. 
And we didn't know, like we, we really didn't know, you know? And, and so when Alicia got there, like 40 doctors took over, hooked them up. 40? Did you oh say yeah. Four she zero. said 40. 40. Yes, like 40 wow. doctors taking over, hooking them up, like getting them set up on there in the room. I got there. He was already set up. You know, of course I see him and now he's stable. And, and when I say that is like, he's hooked up to a lot of stuff. He's getting a lot of meds. He's got, you know, he's still obviously intubated. About an hour, maybe, again, time is so crazy that day, but I knew we had a lot of family and friends that were in the lobby. And I remember going down there at about four and walking down there with Alicia. And, you know, her, like her Grammy, her, her mom, some, you know, her uh, cousins and some, you know, Carson and uh, Morgan and Britt and Megan and Travis Inslee was there. And like, you know, my family, my dad, my brothers, my sister, you know, like we had, we had a lot of people in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you go down, when you walk out, like, I mean, this is four o'clock in the afternoon. It's just been whirlwind. Crazy. It felt like an hour. Crazy. An hour since Ames has been born at that point. And, you know, she's kind of going towards a certain group of the, her family and I'm going over here and, and just to say hi and just to hug people. And, um, and I remember at some point, it was probably, again, like 45 minutes, because it, it, it was 4.42 in the afternoon. And I remember looking at her and saying, babe, he's been alive 12 hours, praise God. Like, I have never celebrated any of my kids being alive for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, by the time they're up uh, at 12 hours, I don't know. I'm probably already thinking like yeah. if I go to the gym. Get nursery, <laughs> get some yeah. sleep. You know, I'm already, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I've yeah. never been yeah. like truly celebratory wow. for my child to be alive 12 hours. But I remember telling her, he's been alive 12 hours, praise God. Hmm. My brother, who he's my older brother and he's got three kids and, and he tells me, you know, has Alicia eaten? Like, we need to get her, you know. Actually, no, maybe that was like the first thing. Maybe I brought her some food right when I got there. But she probably hadn't eaten anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, I don't know if you remember, like, probably when Kristen gave birth, but like, one of the things you want to do is feed them really yeah. soon after right. that. Yeah. We did have uh, Stephanie Kurz brought us some food when we were in that, in that NICU, mm-hmm. probably before Kangaroo Team, before she left back. It was probably like 10 or 10 30 in the morning. Stephanie Kurz brought us a, like a, I remember Starbucks bag and it had like egg bites and some fruit and snacks. And I remember telling Alicia, there's a couple of snacks in that room. I go, promise me you'll eat this. Cause like I, like nutritionally speaking, like emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, like all of the above, like I, I didn't want her to crash, yeah. you know? And so I was like, I remember telling her, like, I think it was a Nutrigrain bar and I gave her like three or two and I was like just promise me you'll eat two, both of these and she's yeah. like can I have just one I was like no <laughs> promise me you'll eat two or if you want to eat a banana you know yeah. I remember and I took you some more food later that afternoon but um, you know that whole afternoon we ended up going back up to the room they do what's called rounds mm-hmm. when you're in that in the hospital room mm-hmm. all the doctors kind of have these it's really cool to, to be able to sit in on these because they have a meeting in your room and it's about your child or about that patient and it's, you know, depending, because, you know, we sat through a lot of these. They do it in the morning and in the evening, usually around 9.30 in the morning, around 9.30 in the evening. And depending on how serious the issue is with your with your child, there's more doctors in there. And that night, I remember kind of 
sitting through and just not having a lot of information. Even the doctor, they didn't have much. They were like, he's stable, this and that. And and that night was such a blur. Mm -hmm. Like we were so tired. Mm -hmm. I remember I'd wake up, you know, we slept in the room with Ames. Um, They had like a little couch there and you could kind of extend it out like three inches. Maybe you're familiar with these rooms, but they're not, you know, but we were just happy to be able to be in the room with them. And I remember I'd wake up and Alicia would kind of be up like right over him because she couldn't hold her baby. Like she couldn't hold Ames. Like she literally is hooked up to this thing. She can't pick him up. And you can only imagine how emotionally crushing that is to not be able to hold your new baby. And so, but I remember times I'd wake up, she'd be, you know, and then times she'd be sleeping. And I remember about 4.30 in the morning because there was, I mean, it was sleep, but there's probably not a ton of it. Mm -hmm. Not very quality, if you call it that. Like just rest, you know. And 4.30 or 4.40 in the morning, I looked over and I go, babe, he's been alive 24 hours. Praise God. Like it was, again, another milestone in my mind. And if I reflected in that moment, I was just so grateful for where he was. Mm -hmm. Like he's at Texas Children's Hospital. Best in the world. Best in the world, like with the best care and the best doctors in the best place. And I thought to myself, like there is nowhere I would rather him be right now Mm -hmm. than right here. And so it was a very... um, Again, we were not out of this, like, by no means. Like, it was a very, <laughs> like, you're still, like, yeah, sure. it was just a long, long day. Well, okay, so when you got there and you talked with the doctors, what was the outlook at that time? Were the doctors still very, hey, it's touch and go? I, or you used the word stable earlier, yeah. so, so that Sunday had to be a good night, word. I really couldn't speak to it because I really don't remember at all what that little round. Monday morning, and probably because we got some rest, yeah, I remember a lot more about what that looked like. And I remember that morning, man, I remember there was like 22 doctors in the room for the, for the meeting. And they're all talking and this and that. And they're going back and forth. And you can always tell like there was, there was a doctor in charge. Yeah. And this guy, his name was Dr. Mark. And he was amazing. Like we've even to this day, he was like basically the main doctor the whole first week in that ICU. Mm-hmm. And he came over to us right after. And he, he knows, he's familiar with this, right? He obviously, you know, if you do this really, you know that, man, these are people that have just had a crazy 24 hours. That's their baby. And he was very, you know, uh, tender with us. And he, he even said, like, I know all that that was just discussed. Like, you know, it's hard to even know what to take. You know, there have you have one person who's like the heart specialist, one person who's a kidney specialist, one person who's a you know, adrenal specialist, the lung specialist, you have all these fellows and, you know, people that are, now they're just all talking and giving this report. Well, he comes over to us and he kind of like simplifies it. And he goes, the best thing, the best answer I can tell you right now, in other words, like, like almost like, okay, that whole meeting just happened, but in conclusion, we don't know. And that was basically what he told us in, in a very gentle, but very like conclusive answer yeah. is, we don't know why this happened. Like, we don't know why he's so sick. Like, we don't know why. And I'll tell you this, man. Like, that was the best news I could have heard. Mm-hmm. The reason it was the best news I could have heard or I felt like I could have heard is is keeping in mind that I already believe God saved his life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it wasn't like, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong this is what we're going to do because it's wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, again, we had been thinking this heart failure. Well, it wasn't like, hey, he he had heart failure. We're going to have heart surgery at two o'clock today. Right, right, right. Now, it, they've, they've switched into the mode of figuring out why this yes. happened. 
and and they're not worried about keeping. It sounds like they're not worried about keeping them alive anymore. They're trying to. All right, why did this happen? Yeah, and they they they. I would say they still are trying to keep them alive, but mm-hmm. not necessarily to the point of. They don't know why, and and again, I can't even explain what that brought, but a ton of comfort, you know. And again, it's um, because it wasn't the it wasn't what you got twelve or twenty four hours earlier, yes. which is you need to prepare for the worst. It was we can't. You know, you can't get much worse information no, in your life. No, you than really that. can't. I, I mean, you know? I, again, I hope I hope not to get worse information than that. Yeah. But I remember even it, uh, me telling Alicia too. It almost like it almost even proved to me that God saved his life because here are the most brilliant people in the world can't figure it out. And I again, I really felt like God just. You know, I know it wasn't as simple as him just coming mm-hmm. down, putting his finger on names, and Ta-da! you know, there was still some more stuff that needed to happen. But it really was comforting, and our and and there was a lot of things that day that Alicia and I kind of through you know talking and you know as we gathered more information, you know there was a lot of really cool ways that the Lord kind of just spoke to us, right? And 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 a lot of encouragement from those experiences on that just second day of being at Texas Children's, you know. Okay, so day two, obviously they're kind of in. They're still trying to figure out <clears throat> really what's going on. So let talk to me kind of in general about that week and kind of the milestones that, you know, that, that night, were happening yeah, that night, throughout that week. That night they had some speculation, but they didn't want to kind of, the same doctor, he didn't want to tell us like something that wasn't for certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was all speculation. And he even told us at one point there was over a hundred doctors, part of the Texas Children's Network, mm-hmm. that were meeting about mm-hmm. Ames, looking at all his X-rays, looking at all the data, and they didn't know. I mean, like a hundred brilliant people could not able to figure it out. And so, by Tuesday, so Tuesday afternoon was when we got this was a kind of a milestone, right? We got our true like diagnosis as to what happened. And it was called persistent pulmonary hypertension of a newborn. That is essentially, it is like high pressure from the hypertension, blood pressure pressure in the lungs that was pushing all the blood that was trying to travel through the lungs that would then travel, transfer to the lower body to oxygenate the lower body was not able to because of the hypertension in the lungs, so the hypertension was actually pushing the blood directly back into the heart. So that's where the heart failure happened. Because all that, you know, essentially that blood should travel through your heart, down through your lungs, down through your legs, back mm-hmm. up, up the other side, mm-hmm. through your whole body, and you, you know, that's where the 100 comes from, right? Mm-hmm. 100% blood flow, well, or oxygenated blood. The hypertension was not allowing that to happen, which the heart failures, which caused all of the other or major organs to go into failure, because if your heart's not pumping the way it's supposed to, other things, you know, start domino effect mm-hmm. starts happening, yeah. and that's kind of where the whole body kind of started not. So what the a prostaglandin did, and this is the brilliance of what that medicine did. So there's a valve that connects from one side, right? The the we'll call it the left side. To the right side. Talking about the heart? Or from below about? the heart. Okay. That, that essentially is like there's, you know, there's the blood can travel directly from the heart to the lungs. Well, if it's coming right back up into the heart, there's no other way to get around. 
there's a valve that actually closes at birth. I think it's called the AO. I, I drew it on, or we drew it, or we actually shared it on that Facebook mm -hmm. video, and there's a picture of it there. But there's a valve that closes at birth. It's actually only necessary while you're in the womb because you don't got to breathe on your own, and it just closes. It's like we would never know about it. I would have never known about it if this never happened. It's just your body knows that, hey, we're out. We're breathing our own air. Or, you know, I don't need to have that valve. So it just closes. The prostaglandin opens that valve, mm. which the brilliance in that was now the blood that was coming back up into the heart from the lungs, it was a pressure, was had a new way to travel to the other side, and then it could travel down through the other side, and that saved his life, you wow. know. And so that's what, you know, but the initial hit had already happened, yeah. and all the organs had taken a hit, and the heart had taken a hit. And so that was the shocking thing. It was like the first night we were in the, the CVICU, that Sunday night, he was the on this floor with probably 15 to 20 other babies, right, that that circumstantially are in much worse conditions, right? Even today, like we met a family that actually is from Col Bryan College Station. They delivered there because they knew their, their, their child would have issues or heart issues immediately. So he had open heart surgery like at two days old and circumstantially a lot of the kids in that floor were already i mean some of them had been there for months mm -hmm. ames that night was the patient who needed the most care and was in the worst condition mm. fast forward a week by the next weekend he was the patient who needed the least care and was in the best condition so when they told us persistent pulmonary hypertension of a newborn on tuesday and we, again, don't know what that means, but they start explaining to us. They basically say that, okay, this is what it means. And now his body just needs a little more time to transition. In other words, he's going to be okay. Like right. Right. He, he just needs a little bit more time. Like It's not like we got to do this to fix it. No, his body literally just needs a little more time to adapt to breathing on his own, to developing on. Now, fortunately, he had all the help of all the medicines and all right. the things that they were doing. But when a child's born with this, they're just not ready to breathe on their own right away. They just need a little more time. And that's basically what the rest of our stay consisted of. But not only that, but a lot of the damage, we'll call it in terms of the damage was being done, right? Like he had because he needed so much help and because he had you know, so much difficulty breathing and because he had all that pulmonary hypertension, some other things were taking hits, which you know, we were in that room for nine days, right? Mm -hmm. And then we went to the NICU for about another 10 days. Mm -hmm. And then all the meanwhile, we're, you know, we're hearing things about brain scans, mm -hmm. we're hearing things about kidneys, about adrenal glands, like all these other organs that were taking hits and all these other places that were damaged because of the initial shock and you know, having this newborn baby that basically couldn't breathe, you know, and couldn't sustain his own uh, life. Um, before you kind of go on to that part, did they give you any indication of what caused this? Was this a hereditary thing? Was this something that they may have missed during the pregnancy? Was this or did this would have been re like uh, unidentifiable? You know, because like even you couldn't have seen this in x-rays, like you would have never known it until he had to try to breathe on his own. Mm -hmm. So 
it was, it was, uh, I, I mean, I guess you could call it, it was impossible to identify mm-hmm. ahead of time. Like we would have never known. So that's where you go back to saying, well, fortunately, right, as God would know, we gave birth at the exact minute in time that we, you know, the perfect doctors and nurses were scheduled, you know, because a week before, Alicia like really wanted to have the baby. You know, you remember yeah. like thirty-seven miserable. weeks, You're miserable, yeah, thirty-eight. 30, you know, every day that last really yeah. five weeks, like you know, because Alicia was thirty-eight weeks, six days when she gave birth to Ames. The week before, so Sunday, she was thirty-seven weeks and six days. We ended up going to the hospital because that morning at like eight o'clock in the morning, she thought she was like, she felt like she was in labor, contractions, everything. So we called Renee Benson. She came over, you know, and we go up and about 12, one o'clock in the afternoon after them checking her and they're like, you know, you're not in labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, basically it's like they're sending us home. Yeah. And she was not happy. Yeah. Like, you know, how are you not going to know? You don't know my body, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And come to find out, like even fast forward because we had the baby the next week. Like she even reflected on that, like a couple days into the after Ames was born, it was like, if I, you know, this was gonna happen whenever we had the baby, yeah. Like whether we matter. had the baby that day or another day, like this, he wasn't gonna gonna be able to breathe. The fact that we had the baby when we did, and Doctor Getty was the doctor for us, who ultimately, you know, did all the things that he did and got to the conclusion to give him the prostaglandin that ultimately saved his life and the kangaroo team and all the above. It was like, looking back, it was like, man, it happened exactly like it was supposed to happen. Yeah. And that just kind of goes back to tell you, like, even though that Sunday she would have absolutely loved to have him that day, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the right day. And so um, there's no way we would have been able to know. And so, you know, looking at it now, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, we uh, we're just trying to you know, take on this next step, right? Like, you know, we were there for 19 days. Yeah. We go back two weeks yeah, after l- that. Let's go back to the 19 days, and I want, I want to get to that that next part. So the 19 days, I'm assuming from what it sounds like, <clears throat> um, at some point, we're not really, there's less concern that you're actually going to lose the baby now. And so I imagine at some point the... <sighs> The, the the thought process now shifts to a whole different set of worries. You alluded to it before. All right. Has any permanent damage been done for that lack of oxygenated blood for however long it was? So talk me through a little bit about that and what they ultimately ended up telling you before you left yeah, and came so, back so home there from was, there. There was a lot, of, a lot of concerns, I would say, throughout. The, the ICU, for anybody who's ever been there, um, whether it's for a love, you know, like a child or a loved one, or, or personally maybe, it, it is truly like a roller coaster. Like it's a lot of highs and lows, and they even reference that. It's like, oh, you know, it's the emotional roller coaster they ICU, and I totally, you know, you get you you get good news, and then you're getting some bad news, and then you're getting some good news, and it's and then some bad news, and then you're you're hanging on to every word, and you're waiting and. You're going to get an answer. Like maybe they're saying, well, hey, you're going to have these specialists come talk to you some point today. So you're sitting there. You don't know when they're coming. It's kind of like when the cable company says they're coming between (laughs) eight and four. It's like, when are you going to come? And so you're like, oh, these specialists who are going to carry some information that you really need to know are going to come sometime today. And you're just kind of waiting, you know, and and the information might be really good or might not. And so it was like a lot of that of, of 
getting some information. And, you know, like one night, we, we thought, man, it was the next weekend. So he had been there a week. And he was making what I felt like was great progress. We kept thinking they were going to take the tube out. Like, like this was, we got, he was born Sunday. This is like, we thought maybe Thursday. They didn't want to do it Friday. And there's, you know, there's shifts changing, right? Like main doctors that are not coming back to this floor the following week. So they have kind of this, I would call it like a desire to move this patient along, you know, because to a certain point they, they're, they're watching, but it doesn't mean the new doctors can't take over, but there's certain things that they probably want to get done. Like mm-hmm. maybe for your job, like, you know, I want to do this while I'm here. And then I know that I'm going to take a vacation next week. So I want to make sure that I get my part done. So the next person can take over. Mm-hmm. And the tube didn't come out until Saturday. And, uh, you know, we had hoped probably like Wednesday or Thursday because we felt like, well, you know, I told people I quit guessing when we we're going home by like, 10 days in because I'm like, man, I don't even know. I had my hopes up for so many yeah. so many different times, you know. And so they took the tube out. He had like a phenomenal day. Like we even had the kids come see him on Sunday. So he was a week old. They took the tube out Saturday. I came home to get the kids. And that night I brought the kids back and actually drove back up. That night he spikes a fever mm. out of nowhere. And of course, you know... <laughs> You're all the way up here in College Station. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Oh, you're so back. yeah, I had already dropped him off. So I come back. You know, it's I get back at like ten o'clock at night. This was like one or two in the morning, and of course that's a big deal. Like he's a week old. He's in the, you know, he but he spikes a fever, and so we thought we were going to get out of that room on Monday, and you know, it, and then they want to keep us in that room a little bit longer. And when you're in the CVICU, I mean, again, even though he's doing better, you're still so it's just a lot of those types mm-hmm. of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Another piece to that, you know, I mentioned the kids. This was probably second to the overall like Sunday dark day, dark moment, right? Was Wednesday. Um, You know, we didn't even, I would say for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we didn't really, I don't want to say this like we're not thinking about it. We didn't think about our other kids. You just had a higher priority. I mean, they're not We we weren't, we weren't, you know, Alicia's mom had kind of, and her sister were, were taking care of them and we knew they were in good hands. But at the same time, it was like we were so focused on Ames and the doctors. And, you know, it was like Sunday, Monday, we're obviously very, but even Tuesday, like we just got this diagnosis. Like finally, now we know what direction we're going. And it was, I remember it was like almost like a FaceTime on Wednesday morning. And you could just tell they missed us like crazy. Mm-hmm. And you could tell, you know, it's like you have kids too. It's like, we left Saturday night at, at, in the middle of the night. So they woke up Sunday morning and we're not there, but hey, we're having a baby. They thought they would come and see the baby or, you know, at least Kate for sure. You know, Anderson's kind of grandma and aunt are taking over and they're awesome. They're loving on them, but mom and dad aren't there. Monday, no mom and dad. Tuesday, by Wednesday, it was like you could just tell. And we had so many great friends that would like schedule play dates and just bringing food and so many cool things. But man, you could just tell they missed us. Yeah, yeah. So we hang up, and that was a hard phone call. And Alicia was like, you should go see the kids. Like, you should go down there. And I said, okay. So I drove down and kind of picked them up from school. And that maybe I think it was Wednesday. I'm pretty sure it was. And I remember spending the afternoon with them. And we went to the park and, you know, just having a great, you know, just kind of getting to see them. And, and picking up from school was cool because, you know, it was just a surprise. Mm-hmm. 
by that night, because my plan was I'll lay them down to bed or bathe them, lay them down to bed, and then I'll go back up to Texas Children's. So I'm putting them down for bed. You know, Chip is fairly easy to put down. Anderson and Kate, you know, they sleep in the same room. We do prayers, and then, like, you know, of course, I'm talking to them a little bit about, but not elaborating about what's going on. And then, I, you know, they know that I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Because I think at one point, Anderson said something like, are you gonna are you gonna be here in the morning? I was like, Daddy's got to go back to be with mommy and Ames, and he just like has a meltdown, and he's so sad about me leaving. He's so sad that Daddy's not gonna be there in the morning, and Kate is not as like emotional about it, but you know she's a little more like what I would call like emotionally stable, but still not thrilled. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Well, dude, I end up like giving him a kiss, walking out, you know, telling him good night. Have to go to the restroom. And then Anderson walks out and he's like, just really sad. And I carry him back in the room. I lay with him for an hour and a half because I'm like, dude, I'm not going to leave until he falls asleep. He's like gripping me. Like he doesn't want to let me go. You know, he's three years old, you know, and, and that's hard, man. Every time I would try to like slide out, he'd hold me tighter and, and dude, it was, and I remember driving back. I finally got in the car at like nine 30 at night and you know, it's a, it's an hour, 45 minutes back to the hospital. And I remember I'm just listening to worship music, dude. And and I remember emotionally, like I was done. Like I I was probably just mad. <laughs> On that in the very like part beginning part of that drive, I was just mad at the whole circumstance. Yeah. I wasn't mad at God. And I wasn't mad that this happened to Ames. I was just mad that I couldn't be at home with my kids and my wife and baby, new baby be there. You know, I was just like mad at the circumstances necessarily that it, it was like, I had to pick one and I, you know, picking one was really hard, but obviously I knew where I needed to be. I needed to be with my wife. I needed to be with Ames and God made that very clear on that drive. And it was almost like that drive became like a very therapeutic drive for me. Cause I did that drive about three more times. Mm-hmm. And I remember just listening to worship music the whole time on, on those drives because it was like, it was kind of alone time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time I got back, I, I really felt like, okay, I knew, like, the kids are in good hands. Like, mm-hmm. I can confide. You know, obviously, I know my grand or Alicia's mom and sister are taking great care of them. And then I need to be with Alicia. I need to be with Ames. This is where I need to be, you know. And the next week, I did that again. And I, I remember feeling the same way. This time, it wasn't Anderson that was having the meltdown. It was Kate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but just that was another big piece to this. And, you know, Alicia didn't get to leave the hospital for 11 days, I think. Finally, I I remember one time she walked outside of the hospital for the first time. Like, hadn't walked outside. She didn't see her kids. They came just for a brief moment, Mm -hmm. you know, that Sunday. Um, But, man, it was was a pretty difficult, a lot of other factors. Sure. Above, on top of the Ames deal, you know. Um. So, you guys, you guys get it through. With that first stint was nineteen days. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the first nineteen days you get through. Now you're back home. Oh, and the last part to that because your question was any, any. Yeah. So the the last thing before we left was, hey, there's a there's a chance that his adrenal glands are not going are not producing cortisol, the way that we need them to. So the testing they had done right before we left, they felt like he wasn't producing the amount of cortisol that they like to see. They said it could have been because of the steroids he was on. Mm-hmm. It could have been, um, cause of the hit, his adrenals and some hemorrhaging that they saw. 
But they said, what we want to do is we want to put him on hydrocortisone. Like, in other words, we're going to give him, you know, steroid, like we are, Mm -hmm. like a pill, Mm -hmm. in dosages twice a day because we don't want – because if if he's not producing on his own, it could be bad. In other words, if he gets sick, it's really bad. They gave us the prescription. They told us exactly how to do it. They also gave us like a a stress dose, like a a injection, like a shot in case it's really serious. Like if if he has a really high fever Mm – and or you know he's vomiting and he can't take it orally and so we get all that information at the end we didn't have like i I, I, it was at the tail end of this whole thing so it was like we got the information but we also were very like i don't know just fogged (laughs) but you were just foggy about all of it so we literally we 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 left we kind of knew that the adrenal glands and we also kind of you know, we're just happy to leave. And I remember getting home yeah, that Friday. Yeah. yeah. So then, you know, we we're home and, and, and then two weeks later we go back because he ended up having a crisis. In other words, he got sick, you know, two of the other kids got sick on mm-hmm. Sunday night. Uh, so we got home Friday, which would have been like the third, uh, 19 days later, two weeks after that Friday on Sunday night, two of the other kids got sick Monday morning. He ends up, having a little bit of diarrhea and his fever's at 100.4. Alicia takes him to UPA. At that point, his white blood cell count got really low. He's anemic. His eyes start rolling in the back of his oh, head. They say, you God. need to take this kid to the ER right now. Go to Scott and White. We get to Scott and White. They basically call Texas Children's. The kangaroo team comes back. Alicia gets back on the airplane. And dude, it was like broke, broke down, man. Like mm. That day, I was like, I remember going up to Scott and White and I just started crying, dude. Mm. Like, in Alicia's, she was the one telling me it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I, it was just like so Everybody's heavy. Got that yeah, it was just so that. heavy, man. It was like, really? Like, we're already back here, you know? And um, fortunately, like, that was a scare, but he got the hydrocortisone. He got the steroid. We were there for two nights. They stabilized him. We came home that Wednesday, but what we learned in that experience was how serious this adrenal insufficiency is. Mm -hmm. We learned that he definitely is not producing cortisol like his body needs to, which is a hormone through the adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. We learned that we need to be very, very um, mindful uh, of giving him his medicine twice a day and when he gets sick or if he gets sick immediately give him the prescribed dose of the hydrocortisone in order to allow his body to produce well he's not producing it but to give him the cortisol to help right his body in that state and so if it's an infection or whatever it is he's still got to deal with that right Mm -hmm. but there's a completely different thing happening when you have the cortisol to fight off this or to allow your body to help with this infection as opposed to not having it, which is what happened that time. Mm-hmm. So it was a great, it was a great opportunity to learn. Um, it was a short visit, but you know, I think it, it opened our eyes. It was a good wake up call, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, it kind of has took, taken us like to where we are now, we'll say. Yeah. And so, and that's a, that's a good place as we kind of wrap this thing up. Where, where do we stand? Where does AIM stand today as far as his health? And, and what I mean by that is, Again, kind of going back to my earlier, do we know yet? Is it too early to tell? Are there going to be any, by all indications, he's healthy, but are there, are there going to be any indications that something more permanent 
may happen or have they given you like hey we just got to keep up with this cortisol or are you kind of in the yeah so basically right now we just had our follow-up with the endocrine doctor mm-hmm. at texas children's this is a doctor who specializes in the adrenal glands in the endocrine system there's not a pediatric endocrine doctor in bryan college station um, typically it's such a specialized doctor that you need a population of like one or two million people to mm-hmm. probably justify having one um, and we in the conversation with him I I feel like time will tell. Yep. You know, he, he he we're getting labs drawn, so he'll have some blood work done here in a few days um, that will be sent back to him, and the labs will tell the story. You know, it, it it could go either way. Like this could have been caused by the hemorrhaging. This could have been caused by the uh, steroids. You know, because and we can kind of understand a lot of these hormones and a lot of these uh, conversations that I've been having with these doctors. There, a little bit of this, I remember tying it to like even supplements back when I worked at Nutritech and you start talking about thyroid gland and adrenal gland and you talk about uh, the epinephrine. But when you're giving the steroids because he needed him, it very well could have caused his body to stop producing them naturally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and, I and so if that was the case, right, if he was, it was on such heavy doses of steroids, then he would need to be off of that for a period of time to allow his body to to kind of Mm -hmm. do it on its own. Makes sense. Yep. But we're not willing and they're not willing to risk not giving him this medicine while we find out at this early. Yeah. We have to give it to him. So it's, um, the, the blood work will tell the story, you know, we'll have labs drawn. And he said like every month, right. He wants to see, and then there'll be a period of time that, and you know, when they, when he gets the medicine, it's usually in a system for about eight hours. So they want to get the medicine in the morning because what that, what they'll notice in the blood work is because the last dose he would have got was at three o'clock the previous day. So usually by the morning, the blood work will either have no traces of the medicine, but he's going to get the medicine right after the blood work. Mm-hmm. But that blood work will tell if there's any sign of him producing that on his own. And again, time will tell. So we don't know if this is going to be something that he, his body's kind of, we'll say like just heals itself from, Mm -hmm. or if this is something that maybe he's going to continue to have to deal with as he gets older, right? As Mm -hmm. he gets, you know, and so, you know, it's really kind of day by day, right? Just, Mm -hmm. you know, we know right now, like if he gets sick, like we know we give him stress doses, you know, we have to be very on top of that, you know, and that that's like he usually gets a quarter or 1.25 milligrams of hydrocortisone twice a day in a pill form. We got to crush the pill. You got to figure out how to put it with his milk and mm-hmm. figure out how to get him to take it. Leisha's like really got that down right now. Um, but if he gets sick, we give him five milligrams, which is a whole pill, every six hours mm-hmm. throughout the whole time. And then if he uh, if he has like a really high fever, like 104 or higher, or if he's vomiting, meaning he cannot take this pill orally, then we give him the stress injection, right? The dose, the stress dose of uh, injecting it into his leg. Okay. And so as of right, and you know, there's the other variable here is like, now that all this has happened, you know, mm-hmm. is... You're just kind of more your, your eyes are on everything. Like oh, he started yeah. having this kind of like breakout thing on oh, his yeah. face, and you know, he, I mean, he's already been to UPA like three times in the last week, just because we want to make sure. You know, one night we had just gotten back from Texas Children's, the second visit on Wednesday, Friday night we were literally about to take him again. 
we are we are like looking at him. We still we we feel like he's maybe not doing well, mm-hmm. and we decided in that moment we're like, well, if you're not sure and I'm not sure, we should take him. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna go to the ER. Scott White, Renee Benson comes over to she was gonna help with our kids, and she was a nurse, and so she's very knowledgeable, and she kind of helps us in that moment. And we gave him a bottle, and then he started acting fine again. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of are living in this kind of like you know I tell people it's like it's that that balance of trying to learn and and really uh, discern as much information as possible but also trust mm-hmm. as much as possible in the in the tension between that like you want to yeah. you know going to the doctor's appointment with the endocrine doctor you're get, you're asking questions you're getting information but at the same time you know you're trying to get as much information cuz you don't want to just be and I probably am way more in the oh it's going to be okay mm-hmm. But even this has kind of woken me up to that personality. Whereas Alicia's more like, no, it's not okay. Like we got to get as much information as possible, and we got to. And then at the same time, like there's a part of us that you literally have to take this one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And you ultimately, to, you know, to the point of what Alicia even was uh, sharing on that Facebook page about the one who loves him most, which was something that like Tristy Fisher had really kind of like implanted in Alicia's heart from months before Ames was born was like the God is the one who loves him most. Mm -hmm. Like we have to remember that. Like sometimes we think we are the one who loves him most, but we have to trust the one who loves him most. Mm -hmm. And it's living in that tension, right? Like, and again, just, you know, this is God's opened our eyes in so many ways already. And Ames has only been alive for seven weeks. You know, it's like, it will continue to open our eyes. It will continue to be something that the Lord uses for our life and for others in this in this journey. That's great, man. That's great. Hey, before we wrap it up, the last thing I want to, and I know you, you want to speak to this probably on behalf of you and Alicia, but one of the positives, and at least I as an outsider looking in, one of the positives that I saw was, um, you know, just how gracious and how grateful and just how, you know, how compassionate this community is. I mean, kind of always know that. I mean, you've always known that. I mean, that's just something that you, you and Alicia have built, and now Gus have built and continue to build and continue to refine. But um, you know, I I know that that um, this is probably the the vehicle that can get you to the most audience without you know personally thanking everybody. So just kind of let's just end this thing with uh, what do you want to say to those people, everybody that reached out and prayed and provided food and all the stuff. I, I will say that every act of kindness towards our family has been felt and we're extremely grateful for it you you never like those text messages that were coming in like even the ones that you sent me and you sent me the video of people praying at the gym Mm -hmm. and so many other people that you know it was amazing like in the beginning how many text messages we were getting to like a lot and then even the ones that were coming later and you just have these texts i mean so many out of uh, just everywhere everywhere Mm -hmm. and then the facebook comments and Mm -hmm. you know like i don't think that people maybe they do know like how much those truly sustained us in this time Mm -hmm. it was it was almost to to know that these people were just walking through this with us and supporting us and i mean you know people came and took our trash literally out of our trash can to because it was overflowing Mm -hmm. we didn't walk it down the street people were taking our kids places People were literally praying all night for our family, for Ames. Like it was like, you know, other gyms were supporting us financially and writing us notes and cards from their whole gym. Like 
the whole our gym here, like some of the notes that were handwritten were so thoughtful and sincere. Like me and Alicia read every single one of them. Like the gift cards that people were saying, just hey, you know, go get some food. It was like, man, every single act of kindness was felt. Mm-hmm. Like that goes for the person who, you know, text messaged or daily, even to the person who just prayed a simple prayer in their car. Mm-hmm. You know, when they heard about Ames, it's like we felt all of it. Like it was a, I told somebody like, we always hear about God's love. And this was that first week. Like there's a song that I love. It's called How He Loves Us. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, a David Crowder band, but it's just a, they sing a version of it. It's just How He Loves Us. And it's this like, when you hear this song, it's like talks about the the winds and the hurricanes. It's like, you know how they're so powerful. It's like he loves us like that. We're the Mm -hmm. trees in the tornado and He's just so powerful and his love for us is so big. And and I remember feeling like, man, this this is kind of like a very unique once in a lifetime opportunity where like my understanding of God's love grew because of all the people that were showing us love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like everyone that we know and a lot of people we don't even know were loving us and showing us acts of love and generosity and kindness. And it was like this like, my mind was blown. Like I felt, we felt so loved. And like, I can tell you right now, man, that that carried us through this whole thing that, you know, even that Facebook page that initially I really didn't want, (laughs) I I, I just didn't want to draw attention to our family. I don't want to draw attention. I just don't want to, I don't want other people to worry, you know? And it turns out to be, that was a great gift. Like for Alicia to get to post an update. Yep was almost like her ability to even process what was going on. It's therapeutic, right? Yes. It's almost like journaling. Yes, you know? and, exa- then you're- and exactly. It's documented mm-hmm. now. Like, you know, Alicia's one of her friends who's a photographer just happened to be in Houston, shows up, and she's like, hey, she's been in a Bible study with Alicia. She's like, hey, I don't know if this is like, if y'all would want this, but would you, I have my camera. Could I... Would you want some pictures of Ames? Because, you know, people like doing newborn pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, he just happens to be in it. So we got those awesome pictures of him in that very first couple days of life, yeah. you know. And, you know, it was just like, again, the journal, the, the, the Facebook page became a great way to connect with everyone mm-hmm. and to feel, again, through people's comments, through people's support, through people's posts, just how, like, we felt incredibly loved. And, and and it's it's uh, I'm grateful. I will forever, you know. I have a, a I feel like, man. I want to go thank everyone. <laughs> I really yeah. do. I want to go give everybody a hug. And I love that we're doing this because I've gotten to share this story that you and I just talked through with what I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to since we've gotten back, and mm-hmm. um, and I know Alicia has too. But like. This is a great opportunity for somebody who really, really, really walked through this with us and would love to know exactly maybe more of the, the details of, the, of that experience. This is a great way that they get to kind of share in that experience and know that they made an impact again, whether it was through driving up to the hospital and visiting us, praying for us, supporting us, even when we got back and all, all the ways, um, and I'm grateful. Yeah, and I agree with that because, I mean, I learned a lot just in this, you know, and I was somewhat close. I wasn't as close as some as some people, but I was closer than, than most people to the situation, so I learned a lot, so I think it would be very beneficial. I think it's a good place to stop, Charlie. Thanks, Chris. All right, man. 
Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Building Better People podcast where you will hear more stories of individuals being positively impacted by living a healthy lifestyle.